Hi, I'm Alex Marlowe, Editor-in-Chief of Breitbart News, and this is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Thanks to all of you who've gone online and left a five-star review or a comment or both. It does help us win the algorithm game, and we appreciate that very much. But most importantly, we need those subscriber numbers to keep going up, up, up. So if you can help with that by recommending us, sharing our content online, et cetera, it helps immeasurably. I'll actually start with a tease for tomorrow's podcast. I don't know if I've ever done that before, but uh, tomorrow's podcast is something really special. Uh, it is my long form interview with Victor Davis Hanson. I went to his farm in Selma, California, uh, which is just outside of Fresno, right in the dead center of the state. He's lived there pretty much most of his life. He lives on, I think, something like 40 acres of almond trees. And it was totally fascinating. We'll have a video for you at Breitbart.com as well. But the full long form conversation tomorrow. It might be the longest podcast we've ever done, so it might be a good one for the long weekend coming up as well to check it out. Uh, but I'm pretty proud of it, and I've heard the first half or so of the interview, and he's incredible. So uh, you'll want to enjoy that. Highest recommendation. Today's show, equally good because we cover a lot of news, plus uh, we speak to Senator Ted Cruz. I pressed Senator Cruz on his comments on the genocide games and how he is not for boycotting the Beijing Olympics. Uh, he offered the explanation essentially that we can't fully confront the human rights abuses in China because athletes trained really hard for the opportunity to, to compete on this type of a stage. I found that to be an inadequate answer. I pressed him on it, but uh, otherwise it was a pretty informative and friendly interview. And he's a good rhetorician and spokesperson. So uh, always interesting to catch up with. With Senator Cruz. In terms of the news, we discuss how China is actually defending Big Joey over the Let's Go Brandon Santa NORAD call. Totally hilarious and epic. And uh, the Communist Party stepping in on behalf of our beleaguered president is dark, but really, really funny. I expand on my comments on communist China's TikTok and how our addiction to it is super scary. TikTok is now the most popular domain in the world, surpassing Google, uh, which is just incredible and a something that we all need to be aware of what's happening with this product that is getting us hooked and we're wasting countless millions of hours on it. And I don't think it bodes well for the future. Big Joey passed the buck on shutting down the virus. Remember, he said he was going to shut down the virus. And now he's passing that uh, responsibility over to the states, which is probably a good thing, but it's also a, a, a big admission that he got a lot wrong and our media was totally irresponsible yet again on the coronavirus. Even Dr. Fauci is acknowledging mistakes have been made, but again, there'll be no accountability for him or for Big Joey, unless, of course, Republicans retake power, which uh, uh, hopefully they do. So all of that comes up, plus the media ignoring herstory. Yes, herstory. Leah Thomas, who is a dude who swims against ladies in the Ivy League, and he is breaking women's record, but he identifies as a girl, and we're told that's all it takes. So if that's the case, he's the best woman swimmer ever, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, his story is historical. I'm starting to confuse myself now, but you guys get the picture. The media is not covering at all in the establishment press. It is purely tabloid and right of center media that's covering the story. And if he really was a woman, we would get nonstop coverage of this historic accomplishment that uh, Leah Thomas is going through. And uh, I'll break that all down for you as well. But first, I do want to talk to you about a great sponsor, American Heart for Gold. And it is a perfect time to buy gold and we recommend American Heart for Gold as the company that you get it through, uh, not to mention other precious metals as well. Everything is getting more expensive. It's the biggest economic crisis since 2008, and the government's printing trillions and trillions of dollars. Consumer prices are the highest we've seen in 30 years, and inflation is here to stay. And if the government continues its out-of-control printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world's reserve currency. So how do you protect your money? your retirement, your savings. Well, American Hartford Gold can show you how to hedge your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. They'll even help you move your existing IRA or 401k out of the volatile stock market and into a precious metals IRA, and they make it easy. They're the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus from the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied clients. If you call them right now, they'll give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 
877-670-7660. That's 866-670-7660. Or text Alex to 65532. Again, that's 866-670-7660. Or text Alex to 65532 for American Hartford Gold. So today, let's begin with one of the stories that I th- think is just pretty remarkable because I teed this up yesterday. Yesterday, I went to the top of the show on a jag about how I'm pretty convinced now TikTok is Chinese mind control, and I'm only being semi tongue in cheek. I, I do think it is a, a a Beijing app that is run by the Communist Party in China, and it is distracting America's youths. And you know, the youths are our future. It's what they say is true. They are. The youths are the future. And sometimes they're the present. Um, and this is a app, those of you who are unfamiliar with it, that it's kind of like the, uh, maybe if you've been on Instagram, you've seen video. It's kind of like that, but there's even more bells and whistles and uh, fireworks and flashbangs and pop guns that go off during the video. And it's a lot of stupid content. And I'm not saying all of it's stupid, but the vast, vast, vast majority of just stupid distractions. Um, that is rewiring people's brains, but not just that, it's also wasting a ton of time. Incredibly addictive behavior, and people who are on it are on it for hours a day, and they can't stop, and they don't know where the time goes, and I was lamenting that if we don't get this under control pretty quick, then we are going to have generations that are going to waste millions and eventually billions of hours doing this, uh, you know, the addictive computer behavior on their phones, and uh, in the meantime, China's gonna keep eating our lunch. Uh, and I don't think that is entirely, um, uh, in fact, that is mostly not a joke. I mean, I'm being a little bit uh, exaggerating, a touch for emphasis, but that's mostly what's going on with TikTok. And I've concluded that this is the case. And then I learned yesterday uh, from a listener in the audience who reached out, um, who's a search engine expert, and fired off a link to me that is truly shocking, that TikTok, according to Search Engine Journal, is now the number one most popular domain, surpassing Google. So this is the list. I will give you the list from 10 to 1. What what uh, WhatsApp, which is Facebook's a messenger that they have, or one of their messengers. Number 9 is Twitter. 8 is YouTube. 7 is Netflix. 6 is Amazon. 5 is Apple.com. 4 is Microsoft.com. Three is Facebook.com, two is Google.com, and the number one domain in the world is Beijing-controlled TikTok, even past Google. And that's amazing because Google seems almost inevitable. I mean, it is it is as someone who is uh, a professional Google hater. I literally get paid to hate Google. Not literally get paid to hate Google. I, I get paid to report on Google, and I don't think anyone who reports accurately on Google can't help but hate Google. Uh, and I still can't avoid it entirely throughout the day. And yet TikTok is somehow bigger. Why is it bigger? I bet you if you look at the average TikTok user, but they're using it for several hours a day. Serious guys, Chinese mind control. Paul Bois writes for us at Breitbart, the TikTok, the search engine, uh, the past search engine giant Google's world's most popular domain in 2020, largely thanks to Gen- Generation Z. According to the web security company Cloudflare's uh, year in review report, TikTok surpassed Google, Facebook, and Amazon as the most popular domain despite those platforms. Multiple features from video sharing to news distribution. Google.com, which also includes maps, translates, and news, among others, ended the previous year as the leader. At that time, TikTok ranking was only number seven. TikTok claimed that, uh, I'm sorry, Cloudflare claimed that TikTok, uh, TikTok had a great few days of traffic in early 21 until the domain finally took the lead in most days in early August. Quote, there are some days when Google is number one, but October, November were mostly TikTok days, including on Thanksgiving, November 25th, and Black Friday, November 26th. You guys see what's going on? People are just futzing around their phone. They're with their families on Thanksgiving, and they're not actually participating with their families. They're sitting there futzing around TikTok. They're addicted to this Chinese app. Best case scenario, you're wasting a bunch of time. Um, and what is that time? Well, worst case, of course, you're, you're literally, your, your brain is getting rewired. What is that time spent doing? Watching stupid dances. There's a lot of brainwash, a lot of grooming of uh, of um, eventual human trafficking victims as well. A lot of predators on those apps. 
But I'm not even going off of that in particular. I'm going off of the sheer raw brain power that Americans are wasting on this Beijing-created app. Uh, and if not created, they're certainly responsible for it. So uh, more happy news to start the show. Actually, not happy news, of course, but I, I had to bring it up because I had ranted on this yesterday and then I saw the story and I thought, uh-oh, even worse than I thought. You know, um, I get most passionate sometimes when I feel like something crept up on me and I might have missed it. And I knew the TikTok thing was happening and I knew it was not good, but I hadn't quite put it together, put all of the dots together that this is the Chinese Communist Party in Beijing getting literally into the brains of younger generations of Americans. Those of you who've read The 100-Year Marathon by Michael Pillsbury, which I would say is worst-case scenario top 10 and maybe even top five essential reading books for this audience. Uh, it, it is that high of a recommendation that I have for you. You see that China, everything they do is centered around this 100-year marathon where they eventually become the single dominant superpower on planet Earth. And we're probably 50 years into it at the moment. Once you see that, once you see China through that lens, everything seems different to you. Um, speaking of communist China, communist China was outraged that President Joey Biden was abused with the Let's Go Brandon prank. Francis Martel wrote this for us at Breitbart.com. Chinese government-run propaganda newspaper Global Times defended President Joe Biden on Monday from Americans using the phrase, let's go Brandon, to signal dissatisfaction with his job performance, claiming it's representative of extreme political sentiment and branding it abuse. The Global Times was reporting on an incident during an event on Christmas Eve, as you guys know, which the president interacted with families, sending in gift requests for Santa Claus. One father ended, ended his call to Biden with Merry Christmas and let's go, Brandon. And, and President Brandon, of course, replied, let's go, Brandon. I agree. Okay, let's play. Let's play it. Producer Mike, play, play me 1A, please, sir. Well, I hope you have a wonderful hey, Christmas. Well, yeah, I hope you guys have a wonderful Christmas as well. Okay. Merry Christmas and let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Yeah. Hey, by the I way, where, are you in Oregon? <laughs> Too much. Where's okay. your home? All right, all, right. all right, thank you, Mike. Um, Francis Martel can, uh, continues. The Global Times scolded the father at the Christmas Eve event, later identifies as Jared Schmeck for, for de desecrating the sanctity of Christmas. China routinely persecutes its Christian population imprisoning and on occasion killing them publicly. Good point. Schmeck has since said he was expressing frustration in an innocent jest and was not a supporter of former President Trump or necessarily opposed to Biden. I think he took that back because he ended up, uh, I think, doing an interview yesterday with a MAGA hat on. Um, I, I think he's pretty much a Trump guy. But at the time she wrote this, I think that was what we knew about it. Anyway, you guys get the picture. Um, uh, the Beijing Communist Party standing up to President Brandon. Needless to say, they would prefer him in the captain's chair and not Donald Trump or someone Trumpian. Not someone who perhaps gets some of their news from, I don't know, Breitbart.com, for example. Do you think Joe Biden could find Breitbart.com? Do you think he could? Read by tens of millions of people? I don't know if they could. Um, the left continued what I said they were doing yesterday in a more robust way, which is having no sense of humor about this. The smart play here would easily have been, easily, once Biden had made this colossal faux pas and delighted millions and millions and millions of Americans in the process, uh, the smart move for him would have been to laugh at it, was to play it off, to play it cool, but he's not quick enough to do that. Uh, so the only mode that they knew was to do this faux outrage and you know get super outraged over all this. Eric Swalwell, or as he's known at Breitbart, Eric Fang Fang Schwalwell, the Democrat representative who uh, may or may not, for we'll give him the benefit of the doubt, may or may not have had a long relationship with the Chinese spy in the sexual capacity. Who would have pegged Swalwell for a guy to sleep with a Chinese spy? I don't know. Maybe I do have a theory. It's always the people you most expect. But anyway, he blasted the pathetic dad who said, let's, let's go Brandon to Biden. Don't waste your time, the pathetic dad who humiliated his family to say F you, the president, on Christmas Eve, Swalwell tweeted. He's irrelevant. Spend your time asking why Republican leaders are celebrating him. This isn't my parents' Republican Party. The new crew are indecent to the core. Man, he's profound. Pretty good stuff there from Swalwell. Joyless guy. 
Totally joyless. Um, here's Nicole Wallace, former George Bush communications director, who's now MSNBC left-wing shill. 5A, Mr. Mike. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. I agree. Yeah. So you heard there was an Oregon dad, his four kids. He's a self-described free-thinking American, a follower of Jesus Christ. He called into NORAD's Santa Tracking Center on Christmas Eve. And what he said to President Joe Biden means F. Joe Biden in very, very, very thinly coded right-wing lexicon. That grown man, Jared Schmeck, later told the Oregonian that the comment was meant in jest before whining for days now about being attacked for utilizing his freedom of speech. The story could have ended there though, right? Let me tell you why this matters. The asymmetry has always been what advantages the Trump right more than anything else. And the asymmetry of saying F you to a sitting president on a call in front of your four kids. Don't look past this. Don't look at this as a story about giving airtime to a MAGA guy. This is the slow motion insurrection in full color. Excuse me, but was she asleep for the last four years when we did everything in the media to try to mock Donald Trump? Uh, Jake Tapper over on CNN literally did a segment on President Trump's penis, an entire segment. I wrote about this in my book, Breaking the News, so I recommend to everyone. Endless the amount of ridicule to the point of almost persecution that the media did to Donald Trump. Every single opportunity to mock him for anything, even if it was totally false, Every opportunity was taken. And now all of a sudden you can't have one let's go Brandon on the NORAD Santa tracker without it being an insurrection, which of course is their favorite word for what happened on January the 6th, where some rowdy protesters, you know, showed up, did some stuff they shouldn't have done. One Trump supporter was killed by law enforcement, making it the greatest act of violence in human history or something. It's hard to keep up, but they love the word insurrection. They're all joyless. And they all uh, are uh, the same way they forgot that Hillary Clinton was cozying up to Russia and getting rich off of the Obama-Russia policy when she was Secretary of State, which was apparently the case, as reported by Peter Schweitzer and Breitbart and others. And then Hillary Clinton acted like Donald Trump was the Russian toady. This is exactly what they're doing here, is they did everything they could to mock and belittle and to minimize Donald Trump and his supporters. And now one let's go Brandon thing, and they have to act like this is the greatest outrage of all time. Wow. How many examples can you think of off top of your head that were a champion by the establishment media to mock Trump? I will give some coronavirus updates because there are some that are that are newsworthy. Uh, the recommended quarantine time has now been chopped in half. So for isolation quarantine, it's supposed to be down to like five days now, I think is the plan. So you can, yeah, from 10 to 5 days, according to the CDC. Any of you uh, go by the CDC anymore? I don't know. But they pointed out that the virus is most, uh, it's infecting other people um, in the first two days that you have it, and I guess three days after symptoms develop. So they came up with five days. I don't trust them at all. But the good news is, is that if you test positive and you've mild symptoms or no symptoms, then, you know, if you're going to quarantine from your family, then, you know, you cap it at five days. I take that as good news because for me, I've not had the virus. I do anticipate that I will probably get it at some point. Um, as I have always anticipated pretty much because the doctors who have helped me stay informed throughout this time were suggesting to me at the very beginning of the pandemic that the, it looks like the pattern is this thing is going to be tough to beat per se. It's going to be tough to shut down the virus as Joey Biden said he was going to do. So you have to be prepared to get it. And um, I will prefer if I do that I only have to inconvenience the family for five days, not 10. So I'm happy to hear that from the CDC. But other news that is out there is, I think, very interesting on a messaging front because you see Joe Biden has now officially abandoned, abandoned the shut down the virus rhetoric. So now he is saying there is no federal solution to the coronavirus. He says flat out, the federal solution is not there. It is now on the states. We have a story on this at Breitbart.com with a picture of Joe Biden running off to a helicopter because then he headed off to the beach. So after he campaigned on shutting down the virus, said at least 10 times going to shut down the virus. Now he is suggesting that it's up to the states. No federal solution. States have to do it on their own. Um, Dr. Fauci did about a thousand interviews over the last 48 hours. 
talking about what he recommends should be done right now. Let's play some of this because it's important to hear from Dr. Fauci, the most important doctor who's ever lived, and maybe the most important man, period. Let's play 3A there, Mr. Mike. There is no vaccine requirement for domestic air travel in the United States. And when the president was asked, should there be one, he said that his team has said it's not necessary uh, at this point. Do, Do you agree with that? Well, it depends on what you want to use it for. I mean, vaccine requirements for people coming in from other countries is to prevent newly infected people from getting into the country. A vaccine requirement for a person getting on the plane is just another level of getting people to have a mechanism that would spur them to get vaccinated. (laughs) Namely, you can't get on a plane unless you're vaccinated, which is just another one of the ways of getting requirements, whatever that might be. So, I mean, anything that could get people more vaccinated would be welcome. Okay, pause. So he's guy's a fascist, he's totalitarian. And the totalitarianism that we're seeing right now coming from the mainstream left is not something we've ever seen in this country. He, again, as always, does not make the obvious points that so many people have already had the virus. And people with natural immunity, naturally antibodies from already having it are completely excluded from the conversation as always. No one points out the hypocrisy, the fact that he is himself repeatedly said it's okay for people who are unvaccinated and even untested to come up through our southern border with coronavirus. And we're thinking as many as 25% of the millions of illegal aliens who come in every year at this point are uh, have active coronavirus. I think they're all vaxxed up. Do you think the cartels are vaccinating people before they cross over uh, through our southern border? And they keep pushing this guy out there. He's been in charge the whole time. We're almost at a million people dead in this country. Isn't that, that enough? When is it enough with this guy? Maybe it's never enough. He also told CNN later on that you should not celebrate New Year's Eve. So let's play A Day, Mr. Mike. We are approaching New Year's Eve at the end of this week. A lot of people have got uh, events and gatherings planned. And I know you said it's okay to be with friends and family if you're vaccinated and boosted. But what is your advice to people about larger settings for New Year's parties? Uh, Caitlin, I would stay away from that. I mean, I, I have been telling people consistently that if you're vaccinated and boosted and you have a family setting in the home with family and relatives. But when you're talking about a New Year's Eve party, we have 30, 40, 50 people celebrating. You do not know the status of their vaccination. I would recommend strongly stay away from that this year. There will be other years to do that, but not this year. This is just a complete anti-vax rhetoric. This is exactly why there's vaccine hesitancy. And if you might be new to the show, um, I've said a million times, and we don't need to take a million calls on it. I'm sure many of you have opinions. It seems pretty clear to me that the vaccine is severely lessening symptoms for the vast majority of people. You can see in the numbers of the people who are dying are overwhelmingly unvaccinated, people who are hospitalized, overwhelmingly unvaccinated, but they're still spreading the virus. So if you're out there saying that if you're vaccinated and you still can't congregate with people, it goes against all of the patterns that we've seen with the data from vaccinated versus unvaccinated people. And this is what makes people who might otherwise be inclined to get vaccinated say, no, I'm I'm not going to because this guy's lying to me. I know he's lying to me. So why would I get the vaccine he's recommending? If the vaccine's so good, then why can't I go to a party once I got it? Also, the suggestion that we just have a segregated country between vaccinated and unvaccinated. I don't see how that makes things better. How does that make things better? So the unvaccinated just pass the virus amongst themselves and then they're not protected? Doesn't work. That doesn't make any sense. Fauci also admitted that they did not do a good job on testing. Play 9A, Mr. Mike. I've been asking questions about testing. So often with you standing at the podium uh, since, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, testing was a colossal failure in the early days. And why is it that now nearly two years in, we still don't have affordable tests widely available to anybody who needs it? Well, obviously Pause. it does. This, is, I mean, um, even with this the- is Jonathan Carl again. And, and this is a, a actually a great question because as we've noted, the UK has been giving out tests like seven at a time to people and they have the NIH for their healthcare, which is pathetic, truly pathetic and uh, socialist medicine. And they have readily available tests for the public and we don't. And then Biden announced he's going to do these tests. He's going to get them out there. 
and then we learn that it could, I don't know, maybe it'll be a year or something before people get the half a um, billion tasks that he wants to the public. So continue, let's hear the answer. Mount, I mean, if you look at the beginning of the administration, the beginning of the year, there were essentially no rapid point of care home tests available. Now there are over nine of them and more coming. The production of them has been rapidly upscaled. And yet because of the demand that we have, which in some respects, John, is good that we have a high demand because we should be using testing much more extensively. But the situation where you have such a high demand, a conflation of events, we've obviously got to do better. I mean, I think things will improve greatly as we get into January, but that doesn't help us today and tomorrow. So okay, you're right. So he that admits we got to do better. That is of so concern. let me ask. So who's in charge here? Well, first of all, there's Let's Go Brandon, I agree, who we're told it's an insurrection if you make fun of him. And there's this guy, Dr. Fauci, who's been out there on TV, been the spokesperson, been the, uh, the tip of the spear. Do these guys not connect that if Fauci's telling the truth that we failed on testing? Um, Bernie Sanders yesterday, by the way, was suggesting we all need N95 masks. You guys might recall that I've been talking about how N95 masks are the only ones that are showing any level of success in stopping coronavirus, which stands to reason because, as you might recall, Mrs. Dr. Marlowe, frontline hero doctor, when she was treating coronavirus patients, they did a extremely rigorous, time-consuming process of fitting an N95 specifically to her face in a very elaborate process, then she can go deal with coronavirus patients. So why weren't we allowed to do that? Why weren't we given the state-of-the-art masks that the doctors were using? Because the masks were all about control. They weren't about stopping the virus. They're about reminding you. It was a symbol to remind you to, hey, we got a pandemic going on. So now Bernie Sanders is saying we need a mass N95 masking, which is going to have other complications. They're very, very tough to wear. Uh, for extended periods of time. They really do restrict breathing and a lot of activities um, that you would do are incredibly uncomfortable. And uh, there'll, there'll be ancillary health effects too if that policy was ever taken up. But if that policy was taken up, why didn't we do it 21 months ago when we were talking about N95s for the first time? So Sanders is going back to the N95. Fauci is saying that we didn't have enough tests. Who's really responsible here? It's all the, the people who've been in charge the whole time. They're so clueless and they don't get that they've been in charge the whole time. So why not move aside and let some other people deal with what's going on? It'll never happen because it's always been about power. Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, got mocked after he shared an article saying 2021 was not so bad. Wasn't so bad. Why is Joe's approval rating down to 36%? His approval rating is cratered faster than any president in, uh, in an era where you could calculate such things. So, and Kamala Harris's approval rating is even lower. Speaking of things we were prescient about on the show yesterday, we talked about the uh, uh, Kwanzaa and how Kwanzaa is a BS holiday. And I brought up Ann Coulter's excellent column, which I have elevated to the front page, breitbart.com, as we're recording this live. So those of you who are on the podcast, use your favorite non-Google search engine, um, pointing out that Kwanzaa was actually created by a black radical named Ron Karenga, a.k.a. Dr. Maulana Karenga, founder of United Slaves, which is a violent nationalist rival to the Black Panthers. And still, you got Kamala Harris repeating the seven principles of Kwanzaa, which is deeply Marxist roots. We also got Lori Lightfoot giving out a Kwanzaa message, which was something to watch because she was sitting next to her wife, who's also white. Let's play 7A, please. Joyous Kwanzaa, Chicago. Amy and I wish to extend a very beautiful and prosperous Kwanzaa to all of you celebrating this season. The seven principles of Kwanzaa guide us to unity and cooperation as we work to uplift and protect our neighbors. As you prepare for your Kwanzaa celebrations, I urge you to keep these values in mind, but also maintain COVID-19 safe celebrations. The COVID-19 vaccines are by far the best way to protect yourself and your loved ones from the virus. Anyone who isn't vaccinated oh my should get one as soon as possible. It's too much, too much. Protected Thanks, for the That's unbelievable. So you get the Christmas music going on, but with the, were those like those African kettle drums playing the Christmas music? And she's saying celebrate Kwanzaa by getting the jab? 
That's actually more ridiculous than when Boris Johnson was channeling Jesus Christ himself and saying Jesus would want, of you, would want you to get the vaccines. That's almost more outrageous. She's in such a great mood. From Coulter's column, the United slaves were proto-fascists walking around dashikis, gunning down Black Panthers and adopting invented African names. It's unbelievable. But Lori Lightfoot's going to celebrate it this year, and she's going to celebrate it by getting vaccinated and playing some Christmas songs on a kettle drum. Meanwhile, Chicago, of course, as always, is seeing a rash of violence that is beyond anything that Lori Lightfoot can control because her priorities are, I guess, Kwanzaa. 22 shot over Christmas weekend in Chicago. And the priorities are Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa time. Uh, last story for today, unrelated to anything else, but still really important. And uh, we had Neil Monroe, who writes on a variety of topics for us, uh, immigration policy, but also the uh, trans movement that we're seeing to look up what's going on in terms of the Washington Post, the LA Times, New York Times coverage of Leah Thomas. Leah Thomas is the male swimmer who's breaking all these records in the Ivy Leagues. And we learned that the New York Times, the Washington Post, owned by Jeff Bezos, LA Times, and probably many others were actually disenfranchising this incredible woman who used to be a dude named Leah Thomas. They're ignoring her story, you know, like history, but with a her. They've completely ignored the story, not one mention in any, in any of those papers. So you've got a woman, an incredible woman, breaking all these records, and she can't even get one column inch in the Washington Post and the New York Times. That, to me, is peak sexism right there. Did you know that there's a conservative advocacy and benefits organization with more than 2 million members and counting? AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has become one of the most important conservative organizations in the country. Joining AMAC gives you access to money-saving benefits, cutting-edge news, and a magazine full of insightful takes on today's most important issues. But most importantly, AMAC is working tirelessly to preserve the freedom secured by our Constitution. With a full-time presence on Capitol Hill, AMAC is pushing back against the efforts to defund our police, weaken our borders, and replace your freedom with government controls. So stand with me and over 2 million patriots by joining right now at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. That's amac.us forward slash Breitbart. The benefits are great, but the cause is greater. So join today at amac.us forward slash Breitbart. Okay, as noted, here's my interview with Senator Ted Cruz that we did at the America Fest, which is Turning Point USA's um, massive rock concert-like convention that is now going to, I think, occur every December. And uh, we had a great talk, and I appreciate the time from him and the candid response. Let's roll it. Senator Ted Cruz is with me. Senator, it's great to speak with you at America Fest. A uh, lot on the agenda. I know we, your time is limited. You're going to speak a little bit later. Uh, why don't you tell us a uh, preview of what you're going to tell the crowd of younger people? It's an incredible crowd. I think there's a lot of energy here, a lot of enthusiasm. And, and, and really what I want to do is encourage them that the threats we're seeing to this country, they're, they're unlike anything we've ever seen. Uh, that, that Washington is crazy, the left is, is, they have handed the agenda over to the radicals in their party, they've handed it over to the Bernie Sanders and the Elizabeth Warrens and the AOCs, and we're seeing trillions in spending, trillions in taxes, trillions in debt, uh, we're seeing open borders and chaos, we're seeing an assault on our constitutional rights, we're seeing absolute chaos and devastation in foreign policy and national security. But what I want to do more than anything else is give people encouragement and good news, that I yes. think it is so bad that people are waking up. People's eyes are opening up that this doesn't make any sense, and, and, and I think we are on the verge of and experiencing a revival, a, a revival of common sense conservative ideas, a, a revival of free enterprise and limited government, a revival of devotion to the Bill of Rights. And, and, and I think the, the young men and women here are a critical part of making that happen, that their energy and passion is, is literally saving this country. 
One thing that's really fascinating right now is to watch certain states become almost trendy. Texas, of course, is yeah. in that yeah. group. People are flocking to Texas of all political stripes, which yeah. I'm nervous about. Yeah. And it is, at the same time, seems like so many of our corporations and our bureaucratic establishment, and of course the ruling class right yeah. now in Washington, are trying to work against federalism. Yes. They really yes. want to eliminate federalism, and they're chipping away at it. Uh, could you opine on this? Look, the left believes in power, and their ideas are unpopular. Their ideas don't work. Yeah. If you look at across the country, big blue states, they're hemorrhaging population. You look at the 10 highest state tax states, they're virtually all losing population. You look at the big red states, you look at low tax states, virtually all of them are having population streaming into them. And it's, it's because their ideas don't work. It, you know, I was... Oh, several months ago, I was talking uh, to some graduate students at a, at, a, at a big public university. You know, like most graduate students, they were lefties. And I pointed out, I said, look, I was pitching the virtue of federalism. I'm a big believer in federalism. We have 50 states, and the states are different. No, nobody would expect California to adopt the same laws Texas does. No one would expect New York and Alabama to adopt the same laws. We have right. 50 states. And the laws of any given state should reflect the values, the mores of the citizens there. But the question I asked the graduate students is I said, tell me something, why is there not socialized medicine in this country? So leftists have been arguing for a long time, they want socialized medicine. There is no barrier whatsoever, zero, to establishing socialized medicine at the state level. California, California, you got a Democratic governor, you have a Democratic supermajority in the House, supermajority in the Senate, they can enact any damn thing they want. Why haven't they? Well, they looked at it, they tried, and they realized it would cost so much money it would bankrupt the state. Vermont, Bernie Sanders' home state. There is no prohibition on Vermont establishing socialized health care. Not a single state in the union, no matter how blue, has done it. Why? Because if you enact it, number one, you see quality drop, you see waiting periods, you see scarcity, and you see massive taxes, and so people would flee the state. So what do Democrats want to do? They know if they put socialized medicine in California and it didn't work and it wouldn't work, that more people would flee the state. And so what do they want instead? They want it nationally on all 50 states because they want to say, you can't flee. Our ideas are so bad, if you had a choice, you'd get the hell out. So we're going to put it everywhere. And look, I guess you could leave the country, but that's a, that's a pretty dramatic step to leave the country. And the fact that they are afraid to do it anywhere they have control, it, it really shows that their ideas are really bad. Yeah, and they seem to be becoming less and less popular as time goes on, but that gets them, I think, more dug into their yeah. philosophy, which is compelling and also very scary. Uh, let's turn to the work of the Senate. Right now, a Build Back Better is dead, I guess for now. We're always afraid of the zombie bills yeah. coming back. Uh, but it seems like the tactic of the left is just to scold Joe Manchin for this. I don't think that's going to work, so that encourages me that maybe it's dead. But what does this mean to you, that it's Look, not happening? Look, Manchin put out a statement, Build Back Broke is what I call it. Sure. Um, um, it, it is, the bill is Bernie Sanders' socialist budget. Trillions in new spending, trillions in new debt, trillions in new taxes. It would be devastating to jobs in this country. It would dramatically exacerbate the inflation bomb that we're seeing going off already. And Manchin, I think, showed a lot of courage where he came and said, he's not going to oppose it, he's done. Now, in doing that, he's reflected, reflecting the views of the people of West Virginia. West Virginia is a bright red state, and, and the people of West Virginia don't want to see trillions of new taxes and spending and debt, and they don't want to see inflation. And, and so Manchin is doing his job. Does it come back sometimes next year? Maybe. That's always possible. And, and, and uh, you know, a lot of folks ask me, okay, so is Manchin going to be, become a Republican? Look, I hope so. Uh, I've tried to convince him. I think every Republican senator has tried to convince Joe multiple times to come over. I'm not going to hold my breath on it. Yeah. And, and the reason is, is really cultural. I mean, he's grown up as a Democrat his whole life. He's the godfather of Democrats in West Virginia. And, and I get that's hard when you've spent 60 plus years as Mr. Democrat to suddenly flip over to the other side. You know, you've got, you know, generations of staffers, of supporters who've been with you for the whole time. To flip is hard. The one thing that might make it happen is the left is so mean and nasty. I mean, they are hateful. You look at the scorn Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, just piled on Manchin. You look at the nastiness and hatred coming from Bernie Sanders towards Manchin. You look at these left-wing activists who chase him down the street yelling at him. You look, 
you look at, you know, when, when Joe's in D.C., he lives on a houseboat. Yes. The left-wing activists who got in kayaks and went to harass him at, a, 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 at his home. Well, Kirsten Cinema here in Arizona, where, where left-wing activists chased her into the ladies' room. It is possible if they are so nasty and vicious, maybe they chase him out of the party. But uh, regardless, I'm glad that at least right now it looks like Build Back Broke is not going to happen. That's, that's a big victory for the American people. Yeah, I think so, too. Uh, I want to ask you a little bit about the work that the Senate could be doing, assuming you guys get control again, the Republican side. I think Mitch McConnell, at least for the Breitbart audience, I think he might have skated a little bit because he was pretty solid on the judges. Yeah. Um, I, he, a lot more would be expected of him if the Republicans get the Senate again. I don't think that people are going to be quite as satisfied just with that um, and holding the line on judges. So uh, do you have a message for the, the leader right now or any thoughts coming for the next year, anything you want to convey? Uh, oh, look, I've, I've served nine years with Mitch. Um, he and I, at times, have had a, a famously antagonistic relationship. We battled uh, during the Obama administration, and what we disagreed with was how much could Republicans stand up and fight against the Obama administration. And I believe we could do so quite a bit, and, and, and he didn't. And, and we had really vigorous disagreements. Um, you know, I will say when Donald Trump was president, Mitch and I worked together pretty well. Uh, we both wanted to win some big victories for the country. You look at something like the tax cut. Yeah. I worked hand in hand with the White House and hand in hand with Mitch in passing the biggest tax cut of a generation. And it produced enormous results for the country. I agree with you on judges. That, that is by far Mitch's best issue. And he's, he's been really strong on judges. Yeah. And, and he has helped I care deeply about judges. You know, last year I, I wrote a book called One Vote Away, How a Single sure. Supreme Court Seat Can Change History. You know, I tell a story in the book One Vote Away about judges, and, it, and it's when Scalia died. And uh, it was the middle of the presidential campaign. And in fact, it was, he died in the morning, and that night was the South Carolina presidential debate. And I got an early heads up that it had happened because he died in Texas. He was at a hunting camp out in West Texas. And so, so the sheriff called John Cornyn and me to say, hey, we just found Justice Scalia dead here. And so I was doing debate prep. I was sitting there with our team. And so we immediately canceled everything else and said, all right, let's focus on what to say. And the instant the news broke, I publicly called for, let's keep this seat vacant. Let's not fill it. And what's interesting, and I talk about this in, in the book One Vote Away, is Mitch shortly thereafter put out a statement calling to keep the seat vacant, not to fill it. And what Mitch's former chief of staff told the New York Times is the reason he did that is he knew that night at the debate that I was going to stand up and say, keep the seat vacant. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And he didn't want to be seen to be following my lead, so he went out and did it, did it anyway on his own. And my view is great, fantastic. Yes. If, if, if you're doing good things, I don't care who gets the credit. Like, let's actually stand and deliver. And, and the fact that we kept that seat vacant and let the American people decide it is one of the greatest victories for liberty, for the Constitution we have seen in the country. And so my hope is, I, I think 2022 is going to be a really good election. Yes. I think Republicans are going to retake the House, and I think we've got a really good shot at retaking the Senate. And if that happens, what I hope we see is Republicans standing up and leading against the disastrous policies of this administration. I view my job right now as leading the fight against every dumbass idea from Biden and Harris and Schumer and Pelosi. That's what I'm gonna keep doing. Yeah. And I hope we see Senate Republicans standing as one doing that in a year when we've re retaken both houses. So we all wanna see the McConnell that held that seat open, but instead sometimes we see the McConnell changes the filibuster yeah. rules to pass the debt ceiling increase without having uh, without having to have any Republicans vote for it. Like, What what was your reaction to that move that happened? I, I think it was a serious mistake. And, and I urged Mitch not to do that. I urged the conference not to do that we had a, a, a disagreement on, on, on the right tactic. Yeah. I am hopeful that if we have a majority that we won't waste it. Yes. Uh, and that in particular, we'll use it to hold this administration accountable. Because look, if we win a majority in Congress, that means bad legislation is mostly dead. It means yes. a multi-trillion dollar tax increase is off the table. It means making DC a state is off the table. It means uh, packing the U.S. Supreme Court is off the table. None of the really horrifically damaging stuff the Democrats want to do will pass. But it is unlikely we're going to be able to actually enact into law really good, meaningful policies because Biden will veto it. Right. Which means in 2023, if we've retaken Congress, they will shift their strategy 
to regulations and executive order. Remember Obama famously said uh, he had a phone and a pen. Right. Well, Biden's going to discover a phone and a pen and, and, and I think be really abusive on the executive order and regulatory side in 2023 and 2024. I think Republicans with control of Congress, we've got to have hearings, we've got to have oversight, we've got to hold them to account and fight and use the leverage of Congress to resist the abuse of power by this administration. You also have a great podcast called Verdict and yeah. you cover a lot of these types of issues if people want more on the subject. I, I was curious about the court packing conversation, which yeah. seems to have gone away. Um, if there are any major threats to Roe v. Wade coming up in the next year, which there could be, it might come back. But have you noticed this too, that it, we were talking about nonstop yeah. and all yeah. of a sudden it's gone, why? Well, I, you know, in terms of the left, they'd love to pack the court. That remains a real priority. The, the reason you don't hear it as much as, as, as we did before is at least right now, Manchin and Cinema have said they won't end the filibuster. And the only way the Democrats can pack the court is if they end the filibuster. You know, on Roe versus Wade, you know, you mentioned uh, my podcast, Verdict. Yeah. Um, we launched Verdict January of last year. And within, within a couple of weeks, it was the number one ranked podcast in the world. Wow. Um, we've had over 40 million downloads. We just recorded our 100th episode. We actually did an entire pod on Roe versus Wade and the oral arguments in the Mississippi case. And so, you know, I co-host it with Michael Knowles and, and we, we spend 30 to 45 minutes trying to bring people behind the scenes to really what's going on, what's going on in the Senate, what's going on uh, in the White House, what's going on in the Supreme Court and, and cutting through the spin and the nonsense that, that a lot of the corporate media provides. And when it comes to the Supreme Court argument in, in the Mississippi case, I, I'm actually quite optimistic. I think the votes are clearly there to uphold the Mississippi law, which bans abortion after 15 weeks. And I think the odds are significant that we will see the Supreme Court overrule Roe, Roe versus Wade, which is what they should do. Now, it's worth noting that if Roe versus Wade is overturned, that doesn't mean suddenly abortion is, is illegal across the country. Right. What it means is it goes back to the states. You know, you and I started this conversation talking about federalism. Right. Listen, in bright blue states, in California and New York, everybody knows that the, the liberal politicians there will maintain essentially unlimited access to abortion because that's what they support. In more purple states, you'll see some restrictions, but uh, somewhere in the middle. And in redder states, you'll see more significant protections of life. I think the left right now has convinced itself in the media that that's gonna be some uh, apocalyptic moment in this country. I actually think it reflects where the country is and, that, and, and there's some diversity of opinion. I'd like to see every life protected, but to do that, you gotta convince your fellow citizens. You gotta make the case through the democratic process. And I think if the court does the right thing, and says, we're no longer going to throw out the decisions uh, of 330 million Americans through the democratic process and strike them down in favor of nine unelected judges. That's much more consistent with the Constitution. It's what I hope they do. I got two more questions, one tough one, one fun one. All right. And uh, the tougher one is a week or so ago, you said that we should not boycott the Beijing yeah. Olympics. The athlete shouldn't. You took a little heat for that. Did you rethink that at all? Or are you still there? You still think that we should be in there in China? So look, I think we've tried this before. Jimmy Carter boycotted the Olympics in 1980. It was a dismal failure. Uh, it didn't work. It was actually, it was a step of weakness. And, and I don't think it's fair to punish a bunch of young athletes, young men and women who have spent their entire lives training for just this, this brief moment to compete on the international stage. I, I, I'm not willing to, to destroy their dreams. Now, that doesn't mean that, that we should be unwilling to confront China. I think we should call out China. The Chinese communist government, they are murderers, they are torturers, they have concentration camps with over one million Uyghurs. They engage in espionage, they engage in fraud. They covered up COVID and have direct responsibility for, for the hundreds of thousands of lives lost, the trillions of dollars destroyed. I think what we ought to do is, is condemn China's abuses, speak clearly use the Olympics to shine a light on China's abuses, but also let our athletes go there and kick their commie asses. And th that's the right answer. Sure, but if NBC is making money off of a giant you know, TV play and it's gonna be a big PR win for China, I think in all likelihood. 
not if the coverage is all about how they're murderers and, and torturers. Well, that'd be our coverage at Breitbart, but a lot of these corporations that control our media, they, they love working with China. Well, you're right, and we need to call on, listen, I think the corporate sponsors ought to, ought to cut their money. I agree well, with that. When I'm saying that we should allow our athletes to go, that doesn't mean we should spend money. And we've seen in the past that, that you're right, the corporate media, they are corrupt. They are China shills. They're yes, in they bed with China. We need to call them out. And, and by the way, we, we, we saw a really good example of that with the Women's Tennis Association. So, so Peng Shui, you know, the of only Chinese athlete ever to be ranked number one in the world in, in doubles tennis, women's tennis. She posted a, an allegation that a senior official in the Chinese Communist government sexually assaulted her, her, the former vice premier of China. Within 30 minutes, that allegation was taken down and she's been disappeared. And it is horrific, but the Women's Tennis Association has shown remarkable courage because they called for her to be released, for her to be, for there to be a full investigation, for China to come clean, for them to have transparency. And they went so far as they canceled their events in China. They gave up millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars standing and defending their athlete. I think it is a massive contrast between the courage of the Women's Tennis Association to the cravenness of leagues like the NBA that just grovel before China. Senator Ted Cruz, the podcast is Verdict, the book One Vote Away. I promise one fun one. What is Jimmy Kimmel's problem with you? Like, it's, <laughs> I, I thought you played hoops, you beat him. I thought that was, that was the truce. I mean, he is one of everyone's favorite characters of Breitbart. He is one of our favorite guys to hate. What is, what's his deal? Uh, he, he's just a little bit obsessed. He really is. <laughs> So he regularly, sometimes there are weeks where it seems like every night he goes on and his monologue is, is coming after me. Most recently, he posted this, this really horrific photoshopped video of my head on a naked body of some other, other dude riding an enormous hot dog, which is like uh, some, I, I don't even wanna know <laughs> where his mind is taking him. It's, it's a frightening image. But, but you know, I, I have a simple response whenever he takes a shot at me. I just send out again video of when he and I played basketball one-on-one, yeah. -on -one. in particular there's a video we did called Buckets and Blocks, where we had 6,000 people came out and watched us play. We did it for charity, raised 80 grand for charity, but That's at good. the end of the day, I kicked his ass. Yeah. And every time he takes a shot, I'm just gonna laugh and remind him of that. Yeah, it's a, it, I think it's working on, on your behalf. I think he looks totally ridiculous, but uh, we're enjoying watching it from afar, so. Good. Congrats on that. <laughs> Some good earned media. Senator Cruz, appreciate the time. Take care. Yeah, not my favorite response there from Senator Cruz on the China question. He goes to this incredible laundry list of reasons why we should boycott and then says we shouldn't boycott to protect the athletes. Uh, I just know the establishment media is going to use this Olympics as an opportunity to continue to whitewash what China does so they can keep making money because their business model depends on that sweet, sweet commie cash. Sad. Anyway, let's hear from our caller of the day. Today, it's Joe in Florida. Before we get into Joe, uh, we're going to give you a little taste of a audio clip I played of a guy named Dr. Vin Gupta, who's a doctor, pulmonologist, so lung doctor, um, but he's best known for uh, being on MSNBC as a strident commentator that amps up the coronavirus fear porn. And he suggests a path to where we are now rationing medical care uh, based on uh, lifestyle choices. And this is just another uh, totalitarian, semi-fascist fantasy that he's exploring. And then Joe calls in after my commentary on it. Let's play it all. I know just off the top of my head, at least a half a dozen people who've gotten COVID who are vaccinated, but who got it in settings where they were around mixed groups or where people were not necessarily unvaccinated or not necessarily vaccinated. So the unvaccinated are spreading this thing and it's mutating, let's be frank, because of the unvaccinated, okay? So I'm running out of ideas about what to do if people are refusing to protect themselves and other people. There is stats out today, 140 million new COVID infections to the U.S. in the next two months, according to the latest model. What I will say here is I think we have to move away from this paradigm of even thinking about caseloads day over day because it's overwhelming, it's psychologically depressing, it's discouraging. And this is where it gets controversial, but we need to start talking about this, the bioethics of it broadly, because this is not the last respiratory pandemic we're gonna face, Joy. What do we do with somebody who's unvaccinated, who's taking advanced ICU therapies from somebody who is vaccinated in the hospital? How do we rank right. order that priority? We do it for organs, kidneys, livers, lungs. We say, did you smoke? Did you drink recently? If you did, you're lower on the list, even if you need it. 
we need to start thinking of that model, have bioethics around it, a framework, because this is not going to be the last respiratory pandemic we face. So he's suggesting now that we start basically rationing care based off of people's lifestyles. So and it's not just going to be whether or not you're unvaccinated for the coronavirus pandemic. Again, brand new vaccines. And these were rushed through. The process was rushed. No doubt about it. I think the math has shown that they've been effective. And I always make this point for the Soros funded freaks who are trying to love to frame stuff as we're anti-vax or whatever. Which we're not. But it just is. You, It is reasonable to suggest that maybe there's good reason that you don't have to get it. But now we're talking about if you, as opposed to getting treatments, which most people who do get it do survive it, the vast, vast, vast majority do survive it. We're talking about they should have rationed care. They should be treated differently. And then once they're done with that, they'll move on to people who smoke, people who drink, maybe people who eat donuts, uh, maybe people who don't get in their, uh, you know, 150 minutes of cardio every week. When does it stop? Uh, how about people who have lots of sexual partners versus those who are uh, a celibate or monogamous? I mean, when does it end? But this is the slippery slope the great Dr. Vin Gupta wants us on. Look, I must say, this does sound like a violation of the Hippocratic Oath, saying a a first do no harm is where it begins. How could not rationing care from people who do not follow the exact ideas of Dr. Vin Gupta, MSNBC TV doctor, how does that not constitute doing harm? And he's recommending this publicly so other doctors are going to see it and they are probably going to think differently, thanks to this guy, at least some people will, about people who make choices in their lives that aren't 100% focused on their physical health. And then is it going to extend to mental health? That's a gnarly thing to say, Dr. Vin. Joe, Florida, Line 6. Joe, good morning. Yes, sir. Joe, you responded to Dr. Vin. Go ahead. Yeah, so um, I wanted to unfortunately um, tell you that... uh, as we go forward in medicine, we are actually regulated. Um, currently, when you sign up for your health care insurance, if you're a smoker, you have to pay uh, on average 15% more for your monthly premiums because of your habits. So it would not be unreasonable that while we are not mandated that maybe your insurance companies going forward, if, unless you prove that you've been vaccinated, that you may end up having to pay an extra premium on your health insurance going forward uh, because of the extra cost of care. Now, as far as he's talking about uh, now, now, Joe, I mean, that makes some sense to me on the on the insurance front, because obviously, if you smoke, you're more likely to get lung cancer and more likely to be drained in the system. If you're incredibly obese, all the same deal. I, that makes sense to me. The same way, you know, I got uh, I, I get speeding tickets, uh, mostly from the cameras because I'm a very mindful driver, but, you know, the key, I can't see the cameras. Uh, so my insurance is higher than my wife's. She's never a speeding ticket. That makes sense to me. I have no objection to that. The problem is uh, Dr. Vin Gupta appears to be saying that, or at least certainly putting us on a path where we were on a road to when you show up at the hospital and you're not vaccinated, you don't get priority. You, the people get priority are people who do as Dr. Vin Gupta and Dr. Fauci say. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. Absolutely. He has no and no individual doctor has any right whatsoever to determine how to ration care. But as we go forward in this country, so I'm just playing the long ball. And as we go forward in this country, that's how they are going to regulate it. That's how they are going to ration care. They're going to charge you a little extra because you weren't vaccinated. And by the way, and, you know, you've mentioned that you're from a, a, a medical family. These ideas have been floated for over a decade. Medicare, our government insurance, is going to run out of money sometime in the next decade or 15 years. And so they're talking about rationing care because of Medicare and how to do that. Either some of us who paid into Medicare are no longer going to be afforded the services because we saved too much money into retirement, or B, they're going to ration care across everybody like every socialized system in Canada or every other country where you're only allowed one joint replacement in your lifetime. And if you want a second one, you have to pay for it out of pocket. That's how they ration care. Sure. And of course, this is another... Yeah, and it's another it's another tax on the poor people because the wealthier people will be able to afford whatever care they want. Um, and then the the which is another issue that it shows just rank hypocrisy by the left. Um, and I'm just curious. Also, there's a racial component, too, because, you know, a lot of uh, black and brown people are more skeptical of the vaccine than a lot of the white liberals. So it's a there's so much it's so poorly thought through Dr. Vin Gupta's point. But that's not 
obviously his intention. His intention is just to rile people up on MSNBC. He's not actually being productive here at all. He's no plan to implement this idea. He's on Joy Reid's show, the most ironically named individual on the planet, Joy Reid, who is no joy in her life at all. Uh, and But it is conditioning us, Joe. And this is the point I'm really trying to make. I do feel like we're being conditioned to a become more totalitarian. We heard yesterday Nicole Hannah-Jones saying it should be up to the educators, not up to the parents, what their kids should be being taught in school. And then today we're hearing Dr. Vin Gupta that the, the doctors and the public health officials should be the ones determining how much care you're entitled to get. Uh, this is a very, very horrifying road if this is the case. They, if these people get their way, we are not going to remember, we are not going to have any concept of what the United States of America is. Totally agreed. I mean, again, him as an individual, and, and he's not the only doctor I've met who have actually made comments to me how they think that uh, those who are unvaccinated should be denied certain amounts exactly. of care. And that is not, and that is not the Hippocratic Oath. We treat everybody the same, no matter where you come from, what your disease process or what you've lived your life. But unfortunately, there are, you know, as, as we are an individual country, there are lots of people who are going to inject their own feelings into how they treat. And it's unfortunate for the vast majority of Americans. I got American parts. That's all for today. Thanks so much to producer Mike filling in for producer Haley and producer Greg Evan as well. Robert Marlowe helps me pick stories. And to all of you who have left that five-star review and told a few people about the show, hopefully 10,000 in total. We'll be back tomorrow with that long-form interview with the great historian, Victor Davis Hanson. Thanks for listening. Oh,